Yo, what it do, everybody? Uh, it's your boy Khalil. It's my girl Chi. Hey. And you're listening to another episode of the Chi and Khalil show. Uh, today we got lots of great things going on. Your Wait, cousin... do we? Do we though? Because <laughs> you you see the state of the country, right? <laughs> well, you know it makes it easier. It makes it, it it makes it easier for comedians and people who do podcasts because they're just yes. so much tomfoolery <laughs> running around. Yes. And they just like just pick up the Tom Furley. You don't even have to make a joke. Just be like, right. Kanye West is running for president. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the laugh. Oh my gosh. But it's real life, though. That's the sad thing. That's a sad thing. It's real life. Oh, um, oh my gosh. And I don't know if you anyone wasted time reading his interview with Forbes, but yo, he basically is manic again. Like, if you saw his TMZ rant from back in the days. Um, he, and you ever actually want to know, like people like try to say you're bipolar cause you know, some people are kind of moody, right? but no, right, like exactly. that is actually bipolar mania. Like he's, he has a lot of pressure thoughts. There's a lot of diluted thoughts. There's like some little bits of truth in it, but it's kind of just all arcing, yeah. not making real sense kind of delusion. Um, right, right, right. Well, I will say this. I did read the Forbes article and I mm-hmm. did agree with one of his points actually a couple of them, but one of them, and that was, thou shalt not kill, I'm against capital punishment. I'm like, okay. So that was one of those lucid moments. I was like, against capital punishment. I agree. Because you remember our last episode, there's no need for violence in any relationship. I was like, okay, that's okay. We we can do that. I, I'm down with that. You know, if you, you want to... You want to do that when you run you know, for president or become when you, president? Yeah, when you first when you first said you you had some points you agreed with, I was worried about you. But yeah, that ah! one I actually agree with him too. Oh um, but it's not because from the Bible. I right. mean, it just capital punishment doesn't actually decrease murders or violent crime, right. and it's with our flawed judicial Thank system, you. it kills people who didn't actually commit a crime. Exactly. So if we really want to talk about holding people people accountable, like. The judges and the jury mm-hmm. and the prosecutors for all these fake convictions should be should they be killed? Right, now? right. Because they they basically kill conspired to kill them. Yeah, man. exactly. Um, but yeah. So anyways, yeah. yeah capital punishment it's, it's nonsense and it it costs so much more money. It doesn't prevent crime. No. Oh, but did you hear how Mississippi's changing um, their Confederate flag? <laughs> I was really happy about that. I love it. So like, if you need to, something to change in the South, like it has to come through football. <laughs> Right. So the Southeastern Conference said that they're not going to hold any championships in Mississippi and not allow or any state that has a Confederate flag in there, anything that has any association with the Confederacy wow. in their flag, blah, blah. So basically they were saying like, you know, that, that Mississippi cannot have any SEC playoff games, etc. Um, and they're not allowed to actually like they would be allowed to have their flag up at any conference championship oh so then they're like oh hold on right exactly Um, (laughs) (laughs) we gotta call an audible right now (laughs) but it reminds me so i read i just recently read something about um alabama and bear bryant Uh yeah so you know bear bryant was alabama was historically white is a historically white college of Uh course and they were very resistant to integrating their football team so supposedly (laughs) what bear bryant did is he had you. He invited USC, who had already integrated a lot of their players, mm-hmm. to come and beat the crap out of Bama. Wait, is that University home. of South Carolina or University of Southern California? Southern California, not South Carolina. <laughs> like you know, nobody on the best coast. When we say USC, <laughs> we mean South Southern California. 
I know, I know, I know but yeah. <laughs> but since we're talking about the South. I know, and I guess, <laughs> I guess since I did go to school, like it was weird for me going to Florida for undergrad because everyone's talking about USD. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, the Trojans? They're like, no, the Gamecocks. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? The who? Wait, they're what the are they? You didn't know they're Gamecocks? No, yeah. what is that? So that just it's, doesn't even sound unfor- right. It's an oh unfortunate mess okay, no. on a lot of levels. See, now we have school. to put an explicit tag on this episode. So number one, it's actually <laughs> not even a bad word yet. Like, we are going to get there. Oh. <laughs> but no, it's just a Gamecock. It's, okay, you know, Gamecock. Okay, it's, got it. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so, yeah, so like, USC came and just, like, beat him down. And then that's the way he was mm-hmm. going to actually get support from the football community in Alabama to actually recruit black athletes. Oh. And now, of course, the majority of their players are actually uh, black. Um, and they win a lot black, of championships yeah. again. Um, but, yep. I mean, same thing. Like, my dad would tell me stories. Like, he lived on the white, like, on the in the white school district on the edge of it. Um, and when he was a sophomore in high school, um, that's when um, Oklahoma desegregated their schools, right? So his mom took him to the football coach and was like, yo, can my son play for you? He was like, well, if he makes a team. And he also, I think the coach was like, whatever, he's not going to make the team because my dad only had one arm. And, you know, he was only like five foot nine. He wasn't big. We played middle linebacker and lineman, right? Um, but my dad was a beast, right? So anyways, he makes the team and he's actually starting. So my dad had neighbors that previously when he was walking – to the bus stop with his brothers and sisters, like the neighbors would stick their dogs on them for fun, mm-hmm. right? The white neighbors. Are you serious? Right? Yeah, just because they could, right? Um, and you couldn't do anything about it, right? You just had to no. run from a dog and try to fight them off. Right. So that same neighbor, now that my dad is one of the stars on the football team, the same neighbor had his daughter come pick my dad up and drive him to school every day. Are you serious? <laughs> Wait, what changed? Okay, that's how serious football is down there? Wow. Wow. Because he's play, like he's helping them because they won a state championship, right? So now like wow. they basically for three years they didn't lose a game when my dad was playing. Wow. Um, yeah. So anyways, Does money if you want really anything, drive everything. Oh no, it wasn't even gosh. really money. Like they just wanted to be the state champions so they wow. could tell all their friends that their high school was the state champion, right? Oh that East Central High School in Oklahoma, right? So, anyways, yeah, my dad's in there, Hall of Fame, actually. But look um, at that, go dad. But it's basically like his family and one other family that lived in the on the, the white school district that had to go to school there. Mm. Mm. Um, but anyways, yeah, if you want something to change in in the South, like the only thing that will overcome racism is football. That's my apparently. That's my final my final answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with it. Wow. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the, the football team in Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, is finally getting pressure to change their name because all the advertisers are dropping out. Yes! And, and, and it's stupid. Like, Dan Snyder's still thinking about, like, oh, I'm not sure what we're going to do. You know what you're going to do. You know what like, you're going to do, bro. Because it's going to hit your pocket if you don't. Well, I mean, it already has been. Another thing is it's, it's dumb because... One, like they're losing a lot of revenue because it's becoming unpopular. It was already unpopular with yeah, a lot of people. Right. For and years. Also, right. And also, like, you're not going to actually lose any fans by changing it. And everyone's going to have to buy new gear, right? So all your paraphernalia, like, like revenue is going to go up. So what um, should we call them in the meantime? The team from Washington, right? The, fo- the NFL team, team in Washington. Washington. 
the football like, team from Washington, D.C., because we're not talking the Seattle um, Supersonics. No, no, Seattle no, no, wait, that's too. basketball. <laughs> so the Seahawks. Where your cousin the plays. Seahawks are now Oklahoma Thunder. <laughs> no, 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 no. Shut up. Stop. <laughs> you know that, right? Oh, you mean the Seattle Supersonics. I, mean, no, I legit thought you said the Seahawks have become the Oklahoma Seahawks. Thunder. Okay. I did, because I'm confused. It's like you were confused, I'm confused. So we're, we're having a confused day. It's not oh first thing God. in the morning. Like we normally do it. It's the afternoon. No, so, congratulations yeah. to the football team in Washington, D.C. for actually contemplating and now having to change their name. Yeah, score one for us, for the peoples. <laughs> but did, did you watch the Hamilton musical, though? Well, I mean, I didn't watch it on Disney because I don't have it right now. Um, oh, but I've oh. seen it three times. My boy Conroe, what's up, Conroe? Um, he's actually touring oh, with them, or he right. was while he was going through. Yeah. Um, I've seen it several times, but I didn't see the original cast, and I didn't see it on Disney um, because I had used my free membership to watch The Mandalorian back in the day. So, <laughs> no, you know, free I get up. it. And then I you already have, I have HBO and Amazon and Netflix. Same. And, do I right. really so need like, another yeah. one? I really don't. We're just doing too much. No. Right? It's, it's just a lot. I don't know how they're doing this. They're, they're getting us to start buying all these packages. Soon, all these different streaming platforms, we're going to have like bills that are beyond our own cable bills. Like Rather right. than the $200 a month going to cable, we're going to be paying like $400 a month just to be catching up with all of these streaming platforms. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay solid and true to Netflix. <laughs> Well, it's funny because like Hulu had this option where basically you get cable and Hulu and Disney, right? Yes. Um, all together for like $50, right? Right. But like it won't actually stream on my TV because my TV is too old. My TV is only like four years old, but they're like, nah. Anyways, did you watch it or no? Yeah, oh my God. Yes. Actually, I wasn't going to because I'd already seen it twice in New York live with the original cast and it was freaking amazing. But then I broke down and watched it because, like, I was on Twitter and I saw all of these, like, tweets about it. I was like, oh, wait, I'm missing out. So rather than watch it when everybody else was, I watched the following day. I think it was, like, July 5th or something like that. And, oh, my, it was everything. I was doing my hair at the same time and I was singing along. Oh, my gosh. It was it was literally amazing. But it was also just, like, you know, interesting to watch it now, considering where we are, like, in terms of not only the pandemic, but where we are in terms of um, progress, quote unquote, racially in this in this country with the Black Lives Matters mo movement and everything like that. It's just to have this multi-ethnic cast talking about essentially a white guy who was orphaned and from the Caribbean, considered an immigrant, an outsider, coming in and basically revolutionizing or creating this revolutionary financial system. Yes, I know it has its flaws, but trying to tell that story a lot of people were like hating on it and i was i was of a different camp i was like the immigrant story will always be the immigrant story um we americans or at least you know folks who call themselves americans when immigrants come in they always want to scapegoat them but then look right. at the brilliance that they do even now like immigrants coming and look at the brilliance that they do and people act like they're taking all the jobs. What jobs? <laughs> you know, like there are no jobs right now, actually. Um, speaking of which, it, it, this is a ni nice little segue, but like essential jobs, right, are mm -hmm. pretty much concentrated within black and brown communities, or at least black and brown peoples tend to have a lot of those essential jobs. And I was right. reading up on um, coronavirus trends and like, you know, how like 
all the billionaires are making money and whatnot, like, you know, Bezos and Amazon and, and Zuckerberg and his, and his Facebook, but we really haven't like bent the curve. And there was this one story out of, I think it was AMFAR, the Foundation for AIDS Research, found that in black majority counties where there's high unemployment, unemployment, meaning there are no jobs, that it was associated with fewer, fewer COVID-19 cases, which essentially means because there were no jobs where they could essentially have to go to work, they were less likely to be exposed to, to COVID and thereby get it, which was kind of like, it was just kind of strange to me. It was like, oh my gosh, so we have to be unemployed to be protected. For me, mm, mm, it says a whole lot about our healthcare system, our economic system, that we are disproportionately affected on both sides. It's like a freaking catch-22 in my But another thing I want to point out is, because you said yeah. two things. Um, so one, like people look down on immigrants, right? And then also mm -hmm. like black and brown people are essential workers, right? Right. So we're talking about most essential workers, the majority of people, actually, the ones who get the least amount of credit, mm -hmm. it's... The people who work in grocery stores, people who yep. work at Target, Walmart, mm -hmm. um, Walgreens, CVS, and the employees in the hospital that do like environmental services, right. the techs, the food workers, right, and food workers in general, right? Or even like the delivery oh. guys, like UPS and FedEx. I don't think I've right. ever seen a non-brown-skinned UPS uh, delivery right. man. So if all of these things are essential to our company, our country functioning, why are they paid poverty wages? The reason they want you to hate immigrants is because when you do things like you don't give immigrants equal rights as American citizens, then companies can exploit them and pay them lower wages and make working conditions worse. It'd be easy to stop illegal immigration. All you would have to do is make fines and punishments to corporations and companies that hire them to make it more expensive to hire undocumented workers mm -hmm. than it is to hire mm -hmm. documented workers. And then there wouldn't be coming because no one would hire them. But people are be hiring them, Khalil. Well, I know and because we actually- like nothing. Right. Well, because we actually need them for our economy to function, right? Huh. But like you said before, like the tide rises, tide um, lifts all shifts. Ships. <laughs> the tide lifts a rising tide lifts all ships companies corporations had to pay them the same thing that they're paying american workers and american right. workers would make more money we've really convinced everyone that poor people are lazy and or dumb and we mm -hmm. should despise them all it's their fault for their being poor what? as opposed to like we have this really unfair economic system that leads to a really horrible distribution of wealth because i mean if you mm -hmm. think about it so like a walmart cashier Mm -hmm. produces about $70 per hour in profit for Walmart. Not gross. Not they're saying they're ringing up $70 right, uh, right. an hour. But yeah. after they go through all their costs, Walmart makes about $70 to $80 per person per hour. And they only pay them $8 an hour, right? Wow. So without raising any price, Walmart could pay them $20 an hour, right? Exactly. All of them would be living well above the poverty level. They'd be able to buy more things. There'd be more businesses. It would actually stimulate the economy because they would be buying more things, which means there'd be more businesses making right. things, more business, no more restaurants, etc. But no, they pay them 
minimum wage, which is, you know, seven, eight dollars an hour. And then they're even working full time. They still qualify for benefits like Medicaid and um, food stamps. So if you really want to get people off food stamps, make Walmart pay people enough that if they're working full time, they don't qualify. (laughs) Right. They can actually afford groceries. Right. Like I should not be able to work. I should not have to work and not be able to afford food. What's the point of working then? Their lifestyle isn't going to change if they have a hundred billion versus 50 billion a year in profit. They're still going to be the richest people in the world. They're still going to have enormous amounts of wealth, but the actually economy and the country would actually be a lot better. Anyways, that's why Marxist theory for the day. After a certain amount, what do you need the money for, right? And if you say, well, I'm putting it into a foundation which provides jobs for people, and then we can use it to drive research, innovation, and all these areas that we're having problems in. I mean, that's that's the the reason that many people give. My, my criticism has always been, but it's just throwing a Band-Aid at the problem rather than looking at the root of it, which is... I don't even want to sound Marxist, but part of this, the economic structure that we have, it, 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 it thrives on this sort of scarcity thing where like, I need to have all the money so that I can do what I want, but too bad for you, poor guy, because you didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You didn't go to school. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You lived wrong. You've done everything on the, in the book that they told you to do, but somehow it's wrong because you don't have enough money to but actually- it's- just eat. <laughs> it's it's also funny that it's not necessarily capitalism by itself. It's more of the fact that okay. our government doesn't make rules for the common person, right? Mm-hmm. They make rules mm-hmm. for the very few elite. So um, back after World War II, when our economy actually had the biggest growth after the Depression, everything was going well, the wealth tax on people who were in like the first percent was something like 70 or 80%, right? It was something astronomical. So whenever you made that much money, you actually had to give it to government programs, right? And it funded a lot Mm -hmm. of things. It funded the suburbs um, so that white Americans could go get um, subsidized housing. Mm -hmm. Um, It subsidized the the rail, sorry, the the highways, Mm -hmm. all kinds Mm -hmm. of other infrastructure. Um, And also made it so that People who graduated from high school could go and work and be able to buy a house and support their family with one income with mm-hmm. a high school diploma. And then, so if you're talking about like make America great again, like if you want right. to go back to that, that would actually make America great again. And then the other thing is like in Europe, especially like in Scandinavian countries, they still have a quote unquote capitalist model, but they mm-hmm. make rules that are for the benefit of the whole country as that's opposed to the benefit of the few. Right. Yes, that's what it should be. Because I'm not, it's not that I'm anti-capitalism um, at all, actually, but that we just have to keep in mind the people. Like, why do we feel like it's, it's okay to have such a high prevalence of homelessness? Why is that okay? Why do we because have empty fault. spaces? Right, right. Why do we have empty spaces that people could actually live in and afford to live in, um, but we want to keep empty and at astronomical prices that only like the filthy rich could like afford. That doesn't make sense. Why is it that in certain countries you can buy like a whole bag of groceries for like the equivalent of $5 that could feed an entire family. But here 
we're paying a hundred dollars for like five items in a bag. Right. I'm just I'm trying to figure out like why we think it's okay to ensure that there is this level of poorness that exists. I'm not even saying poverty, but like just ugh, an inability to climb, an inability right. to like so just live. Working 40 hours a week plus and you still can't afford health care? Working 40 hours a week plus, you still can't afford food right. for your family? Yeah, And then somebody's looking sense. at you like there's something wrong with you because you're like looking to the government for assistance? BS. Yeah. BS. Anyway, yeah. but you, but so that, so. <laughs> <laughs> all that to so, say, the topic for today though. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, healthcare. Um, and one thing that your boy Tupe Fiasco did was mm. withdraw from the World Health Organization. Oh, good um, grief. And it's just, oh. I mean, he just keeps doing things that are dumber and dumber. So he's still trying to blame the World Health Organization for his response to the coronavirus, <laughs> while at the same time saying that even before the World Health Organization announced anything, he knew it was a pandemic, despite the fact that he kept saying it wasn't, it was going to magically disappear. So I don't know why he's having to triple down and like cancel the or have us pull out of the World Health Organization just to try to blame them for him not actually bothering to respond to the pandemic that he says doesn't exist that's going to magically disappear that all we need to do is get wash the lungs out with Clorox right But see but that's the thing the only reason why he can do it is because nobody since the day he got into office has held him accountable He's actually making it hard for Republicans to get elected but yeah, it's it's all kinds of just nonsense. I, I feel like that oh, it, it, it's, it's too much because we could be ahead of the curve. We could be talking about opening schools. We could be talking about enjoying our summer if he had only done what he was supposed to do even in March, right? Like forget February, which is when I would have thought something could, I mean, when Italy was going through what it was doing, it was like, okay, maybe we should put the brakes on stuff. But then March comes and at least New York and some of the other states started locking down stuff. Like yeah. none of it. If we had just stuck to that in all 50 states plus District Columbia and Puerto Rico and every other territory that we have, including Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, we would be okay right now. We yeah. would be better off than where we are right now. But we're suffering because of his ignorance. True facts. It is. It's facts. Facts on facts on facts. But anyways, huh. all right. So what we're going to talk about today is racism in healthcare. Some people like to call it healthcare disparities, yada, yada, yada. Let's call it what it is. There's racism in America and how does it affect healthcare delivery, healthcare systems, and healthcare outcomes? True statement. True statement. It exists. I got, I got number of facts for you, Chief. Number of facts. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Tell me them facts. Because the peoples need to hear it. And be loud for the folks in the back who can't hear. Are there people in the back of a podcast? I don't know. Like, <laughs> but I imagined. I imagined it. Ergo, it's there. <laughs> Leave me right. alone. It's late. Go ahead. So we're going to talk about rep representation. So like, you know, who you rep in, in med school, mm -hmm. in medicine in general. Yes. So the majority of physicians are white and male yep and even for if you look at medical schools medical schools definitely are underrepresented 
with Black, Latino, and Native American students. About 5% of active practicing physicians identify as Black, even though our population is about 12%. 5%. 5, right. Um, And I remember applying to medical school, and like some of the places I was going Uh um, at these historically white schools. Mm -hmm. um, The PWIs? That's what I learned. <laughs> PWI. I was like, oh, no, so I there's them, HBCUs and PWIs. No, I, I just call them historically white. Because, I mean, we're, if we're going to say historically black, like, let's bring up the fact that the, all these other ones were historically white. So I was going on the interview trail and interviewing at these historically white schools. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, some of the black students would be, like, excited. They're like, oh, we don't have any black males in the whole school. <laughs> They'd be like, we don't even have any interviewing. Like, it's nothing but black women. And there's still only, like, two or three in a class of like 200. Um, I mean, we were unique at Duke because thanks to Brenda yes, Armstrong, we were, um, yes, we were. We were actually overrepresented. <laughs> no, honestly, here's the stat. Top, at that point, we were ranked number three in the nation behind Harvard and one other school, right? Uh, medical school. And of yep. the top 10 yeah, medical Harvard, schools yeah. in the country, who was the other one? Harvard and Hopkins were above us. Oh, okay. So Harvard and Hopkins were above us. And then number three, Duke. Of the top 10 schools in the country, yep. medical schools in the country, we had the most underrepresented minorities in the school. Unheard of. Right. Literally unheard of. We By had far. In our class, we made it was up above a, 20%. a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was, right. it was insane. I remember learning that and I was just like, wait, this isn't the norm? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I saw all of us. I mean, like, we were a great rainbow. Like, honestly, there were obviously more white people than us but there were enough of us to go around that you couldn't call us a monolith right like we were from different spaces the caribbean africa america like whatever we represented like it was it was beautiful anyway but we were the exception to the rule at that point there was a study done at university of virginia Mm. where they asked students things like do black people have thicker skin and therefore experience less pain and a good percentage of them actually agreed with those statements. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not laughing. And it was like the majority of them. I forgot the exact percentage, but it was like over 50% of them. Like one, oh it should be 0%, gosh. right? It should be and zero. Two, right. But You're in med were, school. You should know anatomy. <laughs> like you don't have to be in med school for this, right? Like this is not something that requires higher education. No, right. but some people think that this color is painted onto the, our skin. So I'm thinking by the time you get to med school, <laughs> you should know a little about uh, biology and anatomy. Well, and the, well, this is the other thing, though. Uh-huh. When Since white people in the United States are so afraid to talk about racism, when you try to bring up racism in medical school, um, it gets crazy. Like, remember, yeah. so we had a touchy-feely class called ICC, like Introduction yeah. to Clinical Care, where we learned mm. how to interview patients talk to patients, communicate, et cetera, because for some reason, people think that doctors might not be good at the softer side of medicine. I don't know where they would get that from. I don't know where they would get that from. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> so this was a class. It was like every every Wednesday afternoon, dedicated like three hours to learning how to become right. decent, decent humans in addition to the science uh, yes. of medicine. This is the art of medicine now. <laughs> right. So one of them, um, we had to actually discuss racism in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love the, the presentation. So there was a brother man from like the sociology department that came through 
Um, uh-huh. And he put up a bunch of random pictures and people were just supposed to say what they were going to say. So after he put them up, then he showed, like, went and talked about each one and said, hey, this is actually something different, right? And he was like, you know, don't feel bad about yourself. Like, the human brain is made to make assumptions on things that you see very quickly. And that's how we evolve, because when you're out in the wilderness, et cetera, you need to know what's coming at you, blah, blah, blah. So all of us make assumptions, right? And all of us make assumptions that aren't always correct. So you Mm -hmm. need to realize that, right? So I was like, okay, that was good. So then he brought in a bunch of studies. Like there's one that was done at the, the Veterans Association, the VA hospitals, um, where they looked at patients who should be prescribed baby aspirin um, because they had high blood pressure, diabetes, and or blah, 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 other risk factors of having heart attacks or strokes. And mm-hmm. aspirin actually significantly reduces your chance of having a heart attack or stroke, improves your life expectancy, et cetera. And black exactly. patients were significantly less likely to actually receive that prescription. Right. And all these patients were at the VA. The VA doesn't charge for aspirin. If it does, it's like $2 for like three months supply. Um, Mm -hmm. But still, black patients weren't getting prescribed basic things. Then the next study he showed was an actual video study where they had two actors, um, one white and one black, both in the same hospital gowns who practiced describing the exact same symptoms on camera. Mm -hmm. And they showed the videos to physicians um, and asked them to make a plan and the physicians prescribed less interventions and less treatment for the black patient than the white patient just imagine being a black person which we both are (laughs) watching this just the doctors the Mm -hmm. same patient one black one white saying the exact same getting different treatment for no reason so then to make it personal like he went through Mm -hmm. like you know looking say hey you might make some assumptions. Then he got the actual studies. Then to make it personal, he brought a PhD student in to share her um, her experience with what she felt was a racist interaction with a surgeon. And this is when things went off the rails. So people were just like, well, you can't really say it was racist because you know surgeons are just not nice people. So it could have just been him being a jerk. And she's like, no, well, he just randomly assumed I had AIDS without asking me if I had ever had sex or ever wow. use IV drugs. Wow. And she's like, well, I'm not sexually active and I don't use drugs. So it's there's no reason for him to think that I was at risk for HIV mm-hmm. other than him looking at me. Mm-hmm. And then people started crying. People started leaving the room because she just got <laughs> frustrated. She was just like, look, if you don't want to think that racism exists in America, I'm not going to be able to convince you. Right. And then like people got mad. People left the room. There were tears flowing. Um, like some black students got mad and started crying. There was white students crying. There was other people crying. Um, it was it was just <laughs> it a whole just lot. Fiasco. It was a whole lot. Right. Well, it yeah. was actually good though because mm-hmm. a lot of people. I think there were a lot of people in there that this was good information. Like I didn't right. realize it was that bad. Right. I knew yeah. racism existed, but I didn't right. really think that you doctors wouldn't prescribe basic things to black patients. Like I. 100%. I hadn't thought that that was a thing, right? Right. I knew because, racism was real, but... Right. But. We all know that there is an oath, I keep talking about it, that we all take. And we know that this is beyond skin color and religious beliefs and all that. It's about there's a human being who's sick. Take care of them. Make sure that they are well. Like for me... That was tantamount. That was like the priority. It didn't matter what you look like, where you came from. 
of course, you're coming to me for help. So I'm going to help you to know that there were, there are still doctors out there who will allow their bias to dictate how they treat me or people who look like me when we are as ill in the hospital or in the clinic. Oh, that is some scary ish, man. But the thing is that most of them, it's subconscious. Like, they're not purposely treating back patients different. I mean, some of them are. But yeah. a lot of it is this implicit bias or other assumptions that they think they're the good liberals, right? Um, what did Malcolm X say? Like, <laughs> the white liberal is more dangerous than the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Because their racism is covert, not overt. Right. And it and it and it gnaws at you like these little microaggressions, these little little traumas that you don't right. realize you're getting cut by like a thousand razors until you're like literally bleeding to death. And you're like, wait, how did this happen? I exactly. thought you were my friend. Right. There was such a hullabaloo um, mm-hmm. that some um, some students complained to the coordinator of the course that we shouldn't be talking about racism because we should only learn things you could prove. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that, but that is, that's so, diabolical. The other thing is that there's so many things in medicine that mm-hmm. are less proven than racism in healthcare, right? Like there's so many, <laughs> that's a good point. like if we were only going to lose things that are like, were proven beyond like a doubt, like right. medical school would be like three weeks. You know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> so we had to have this, you know, after session mm-hmm. and all of the colored folks showed up right mm-hmm. so yes like all 20 something of us were yes. there like nah we're gonna need to have this and mind you this was right. after this was like in the evening and if you know about medical school like yes. showing up in the evening somewhere like you had to really care about it right yes. because there was a whole lot of other stuff going on in your life so Oof. and then there was like four white people that showed up and two of them were super pro like we need to learn this and then mm-hmm. two of them were like nah we need to cut this out um and it was funny because every time they said something, we had a huge counter. And yes. then it was funny because one of them was like, oh, well, I feel really uncomfortable because I feel outnumbered and I don't feel comfortable sharing my opinion because I think it's really unpopular. This is not a comfortable position for me to be in. This is not a good learning <laughs> environment. And it's all not of safe. Us, you know, we just hit the floor laughing, like, bruh, like, you've described my whole academic experience. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> and the other thing that I also brought up is that even if you don't want to think that you have implicit bias, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a white person and you have a black patient, there's still possibility that there's going to be a problem because the black patient may not trust you for yeah. a lot of actual real reasons historically. Yeah. The medical establishment, like with Tuskegee, right? Yes. So yeah. The Tuskegee syphilis, quote unquote, study, where they mm-hmm. purposely like, didn't treat black men who had syphilis. Even though there was actual cure available, they still were like, no, nah, we're just going to see how long it takes people to die from syphilis. For 30-something years, they knew. That's decades. That's an, a generation plus. They knew that, what to do. I never told any of these men that they had syphilis. Never told their wives, never told their girlfriends, their boyfriends, none of that. Just, yeah, just go around spreading syphilis and watch it. So yeah, let's see what happens. But see, that's why, like, you know, 
like hoteps talk about you know vaccines are you know poison and blah 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 mm-hmm. and then they bring up mm-hmm. the Tuskegee experiment and then people are like yeah the government does try to kill us right yeah it doesn't yeah. sound like such a bad like conspiracy theory now right i mean in terms of other historical context there's j marion sims who until recently had his statue in central park here in new york city but got removed and for those of you who don't know google him on um wikipedia but this was an ob an obstetric gynecologist so working with um pregnant women so i have a quick question for you though yeah. how do you how do you google something on wikipedia For our older listeners who aren't tech savvy, <laughs> who think that Google and Wikipedia are two separate things. Right. Or no, I was using Google as a verb, right? So <laughs> if you Google something, you're searching for it. So you need to Google aren't on you? Wikipedia. That's not so you. I thought that only applies to Googling on Google. <laughs> you can Google on Bing. You can Google that's, on the No, that's binging. <laughs> Google is searching on Google for something. Let me try that again. See, this is how irregardless happens. Oh my gosh, I just learned that it's in the dictionary. Anyway, this is what this is what this is what I was gonna say. There was J. Marion Sims, and for those of you guys who don't know who he is, you might want to Google him. He was a physician, a white guy. Not on Wikipedia, although if you go there, like I did, amongst other resources, you will find a wealth of information that will not only surprise you, but may even disgust you. So he had Black patients. He developed these techniques that were then um, later perfected and made him, you know, gave him the title of the father of gynecology, basically. But he did so doing surgeries on Black women without anesthesia. Because he did not think that they had pain and without their full consent. So when you think about, when you think about the healthcare system, you've got Tuskegee, you've got physicians like this who were venerated, venerated for their work and for the pain that they caused black people who were their patients, women and men. Yeah, it is no wonder. It is no wonder that there's a lot of mistrust and that racism is perpetuated in our healthcare system, man, or even Henrietta Lacks. That's the other person. Right. I read, I read the, the book about her, which is an amazing read. And I know that sounds funny, but just to hear the story, to be a physician in the healthcare system and see how this woman's cells, the very parts of her body, basically have given us so much in terms of medicine without her consent, unethically done, is still to this day mind-boggling. And apparently, and I was reading this um, online yesterday or the day before, they want to use her cells to help, or maybe they're already doing it, to help develop a vaccine for the coronavirus. The HeLa cells, one, they even cut out her name. They call them HeLa cells. Like there's not, like there's so, there's been so much research. Like they're the basis for almost all cellular research. Like any, almost any cellular research has HeLa cells in them. yeah. You know, the Gila is Henrietta Lacks. Right. But they would not just say Henrietta Lacks. They had to call her. Right. Because dare, God forbid that they actually say her name and be reminded every day that it's a human being they took these from without right. their consent. Yo, there's a lot of things they be taken from us without our consent, especially Black women, without consent and without attribution. 
present day thinking about racism, like in healthcare and just who it impacts and, and, and how it works. We've been talking about how zip code impacts your healthcare, like not only your healthcare, but your health status, that socioeconomic status is the number one predictor of health outcomes in the United States, period, right? Like the fact that these are, these are all social institutions that are impacting our health to me says a lot about how medicine, how far medicine hasn't come in terms of addressing racism and inequity and inequality in this country. I don't know. What do you think? Well, well, the problem is it's not just how much money you make in and how educated you are. It's mm-hmm. still that if you're black, you can be educated and black and, mm-hmm. and wealthy and famous and still get subpar treatment. Um, Ooh, like if you want to look at Serena Williams, right? Yes. Yes. So, oh. so Serena Williams, oh. one of the greatest oh. athletes to ever walk the earth, um, had already had what's called a pulmonary embolus is basically a blood mm-hmm. clot from your legs to your lungs. Um, and it, she had already had one in her life before. She knows knew what it felt like. And act, after having, when you're pregnant and delivering, you're actually at risk for getting them more than you are more. in time of your life. Right. Right. So anyway, right. She, she pops out her baby. And then she tells the nurses, like, yo, I can't breathe. I think I have a pulmonary embolus. You need to check it out now. They're like, you're fine. You're just tired. Yo. Like, <laughs> this is the, one of the greatest athletes ever yes. saying, I can't breathe. I'm having yes. problems. And it yes. takes her hours. And also, she's one of the most famous people in the world, right? Exactly. It takes her hours to convince them to actually test her for a pulmonary embolus that she's already had previously. Like, she knows what it feels like. And this mm. is something that can actually kill you in a few minutes. So, like, the time to actually start intervention actually leads to better outcomes. And I'm, I just couldn't imagine a world-famous athlete that's white being denied basic basic yes. testing right that that's the thing that that hurts me so much knowing her story it's that you can't even be famous and get good treatment <laughs> like i would think that there would be some level of shame on the part of the the nurses and the healthcare staff to be like we don't want to f this up you know what i'm saying like okay whatever she says let's do it because we don't want to mess it up because if anything happens it's going to be bad publicity for us even that couldn't stop them from saying no honey that's that's just you being tired no no mfers i can't breathe like like i know i've had this before and they're still not listening to me right cool it's like that um in hhs her name was shallon irving and she worked on maternal infant mortality. She was a PhD and she went in for, you know, labor and delivery to to deliver her child and passed from complications related to the birth. And, um, and again, she, you guys can Google her and find out more information. But the part that got me similar to Serena was that this was a PhD who studies this stuff who knows the risk factors, who's written papers and presented on this stuff all over the country, if not the world, right? And the healthcare staff didn't believe her. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's what she kept saying. Or at least that's what her mother kept saying she was saying to the doctors and nobody would listen. 
for me, it was scary because like every time I go into the hospital or into the, into the clinic, if there's something wrong in the back of my head, I'm worried that the person who's looking at me is not going to believe what I have to say. Right. right. Imagine your life is on the line and, and you're worried about whether the person who's going to come in to see you is going to believe you or if they're going to send you home. It doesn't make sense, Khalil. It does not at all that you can go in expecting to be treated, to be healed, to be reassured in the hospital setting. And instead you get subpar care because of what you look like. And we're taught not to care about that. Don't worry about the insurance. Person is coming in to see you. This is what residency is all about. But then somehow you get out and you become the patient. And they show you their real colors. You heard about Kira Johnson? No. Okay. So um, she was a young lady who was having a repeat C-section. Mind you, Mm -hmm. she's educated, has multiple graduate degrees. Her mother-in-law is actually a judge, uh, one of the Mm. famous judges or whatever the tv judges um mm-hmm. and post-op she's saying hey there's something wrong there's blood coming out of her catheter um she's having a lot of pain she doesn't feel right and mind you this is like a repeat c-section not her first yeah right they're doing nothing right they're doing nothing wow wow um and eventually they order a ct scan but it doesn't happen right so the husband's trying to advocate for his wife, but he also saying that he feels like he doesn't want to come off as the angry black man and get kicked out of the hospital. Yes. Yes. Cause he still exactly. wants to be there for his wife, et cetera. Exactly. Um, so they wait and delay and delay. And 10 hours later, they take her back to the OR and she has three liters of blood in her abdomen. Cause she's been bleeding the whole time. Oh my and she dies on the operating table. Oh, but it's the same thing. This is a wealthy, educated family who has insurance. They're at Cedar sinai which is supposed to be a leading um, yes. hospital in the nation. You'd think you would yeah. get good care. And also, as an obstetrician, like mm-hmm. post-op C-section, if the patient's not doing well, they either are yeah. bleeding to death, yeah. they have an infection, right? Yep. And that, mind you, that's 98% of it. The yeah. other like 1.5% is going to be the pulmonary embolism. And then maybe a half percent Mm -hmm. of something else, right? So basically, if they don't have a fever and their heart's racing and they're not feeling well, like they're bleeding until you stop the bleeding, right? Right, right, right. It's it's not rocket science. Like a second-year medical student, even a Mm first-year medical student could Mm -hmm. could know what's going on. An EMT will know what's going on. Like a paramedic, a nurse, like anybody. Like how did you let this woman bleed to death for 10 hours post-op? And it kind of, well... Both of the stories of um, the young lady that you brought up and this mm-hmm. one kind of trigger me because the one who was the PhD working in health disparities, yeah, her story, reading her blood pressure readings, like it's clear cut, like she needed medication yep. a- immediately to stop a bad outcome. And yeah. I've seen a black patient who, who. Um, what had all the risk factors of preeclampsia overnight, she developed what we call severe range blood pressures, meaning mm-hmm. you're at significant risk for having a seizure or stroke heart attack. Right. Okay. Things you don't want, obviously. Right. <laughs> obviously. So for hours, she had severe range pressures, right? Hours. And they kept saying, hours. Oh, it's just the pain. It was just a, 
I was just felt bad that this black woman that was just ignored for no reason. I was post um, surgery, post op day zero. So um, same day, like they discharged me and um, just regular meds like Tylenol. Apparently that wasn't enough because the following morning, I woke up in excruciating pain, like could not, like it was, it was just bad. I was like literally on the floor and my mother was like, okay, we're going to the hospital, that kind of thing. So go to the ED, you know, to see if they can give me something for pain. Sat there for three hours with 10 out of 10 pain. Each time the nurse coming in to say, um, the doctor will come and see you as soon as um, he's available. Um, in the meantime, is there anything I can give you? And I will say, can you give me something for the pain? And they would tell me, no, you can't have anything for the pain until the doctor comes and sees you. And I was like, but when's the doctor going to come to see me? Now hours are passing, right? Not minutes, but now hours. And I'm still in this excruciating pain. Finally, um, a nurse comes in, the shift changes, a new nurse comes in and she's got this urinalysis cup and she's got an IV pole and like blood work. She's basically going to like take um, blood work from me. And I looked at her and I said, what do you need the blood work for? No doctor has seen me. Oh, the doctor wants to take it now. Um, and then once he sees the blood work, he can come in. I was like, wait, wait, I don't want you to stick me with a needle. That's more pain. Thank you very much. I just want to see the doctor so that I can be evaluated and maybe get something to address this. She was like, okay, let me go back and um, get the doctor. Meanwhile, come to find out the doctor who was supposed to be taking care of me was sitting at the computer about 30 feet away and had been sitting there the entire time that I was there. I don't know what he was charting. I don't know what was going on, but you know how an ED works. There are lulls around four or five o'clock in the morning and then, you know, shit hits the fan. Right. In this case, in this case, there was nobody there but me. That's and right. I couldn't understand, at least in that area, couldn't understand why my complaints of pain for nearly two and a half, two and a half hours went unheard. So you know me, I wrote to the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, the COO of the hospital only for the CEO to come back to me, a white woman, tell me, I don't think it was race related because my son has also, you know, and I guess she adopted a black son, I don't know, you know, has been, has used the hospital um, healthcare system and he has never had a problem. <laughs> so when I talk about like, you know, this issue of racism in healthcare and this bias and not seeing or hearing us when we speak, I'm talking from experience. These folks will just come at you with stuff that don't make no sense. Don't make no sense whatsoever. Meanwhile, you're in pain. Ugh, anyway. Yeah. If there is one thing that medicine can do better for itself, it is to, <laughs> it's to have like, <laughs> okay, this is just being funny. But, you know, have like your your bias police outside the door <laughs> every time the doctor exits the room. So what did the patient tell you? Now, what if that patient was your mother <laughs> or no, no, or your father or your wife, somebody that you love? Because some people don't like their parents. I get it. Well, you don't have to have the police. What you need is so like right now we're we have those stupid surveys and blah, blah. We're rated on. Yes. And, yes. And whatever. So. And also this is kind of leading into other systemic issues. So like mm -hmm. Optum made this 
algorithm for health insurance companies to find out who would benefit from extra level of care because they were so sick. Yeah. But they picked how many, how many interventions, medications, et cetera, treatment plans that the patients were going on. Right. Mm -hmm. But as we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, like black patients don't receive as much intervention. So it automatically didn't allow them into the, to make the cut be, even though they had the same level of disease, just because they weren't getting so many things, so many interventions and medications, et cetera, prescribed to them. So all you would have to do really to fix this is base physician and hospital pay based on whether or not they treat black patients and Latino patients and women as well as they treat white males. That's it. That's it. So make sure that your, your racism algorithm no longer exists (laughs) and you get all your money and it's not football, but I think things will happen. Right. (laughs) No, that is a brilliant idea. Tie payment to reducing inequity. We have solved that problem. And you don't even have to like force them to actually make the same result. They just have to be offered the same treatments. They have to get the appropriate treatment. And it's exactly in the, um, in cervical cancer, the huge problem of the disparity in outcomes for black women, Mm -hmm. black women are much more likely to die from the same stage of cancer than white women or Latino women. So the number one way that they could actually fix it is to just treat black women appropriately for their stage. And the number one thing is there's something called brachytherapy, but black women are less likely to be offered that even at the same institution. So you have these huge institutions that are, you know, just catering to cancer treatment or um, gynecologic oncolic treatment, and they still don't treat black patients the way they should. So there really does need to be a huge movement to just treating people the same, offering them the appropriate, Mm. why do we, why is it a thing that you have to offer the appropriate treatment for the appropriate stage of cancer? Like, how is this a thing? Like, how are we even talking about that? Exactly. That should be, that bias, I, honestly, I know there is unconscious bias. There's an implicit and explicit bias. It's conscious. It's mm-hmm. 100% conscious because it's learned. And that right. pattern of behavior is so grooved into the brain that it's just like, okay, this is what we're doing. We don't even have to think about it. If that's the unconscious part about it, then fine. But you don't have to think about your bias because it's already who you are. Right. And we're asking you to, to now think about it to think about who you are and change that mess because it's impacting the health of our black and brown people. It's probably impacting the health of a lot of other people too, but tag now it's disproportionately affecting us. Right. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. Anyway, we, need, um, we need white liberals to start um, telling their friends to stop being racist and stop being racist themselves. Right. And yeah. then we would have a more equitable society. <laughs> Like, and this is not to ignore the fact that we have all learned racism, like we have all learned whiteness. So to some degree, we perpetuate it. It's called (laughs) self-hatred. But like, it is to say that if they change their behavior, that is going to, to make things a whole lot better, a whole lot faster than anything more that we can do. I mean, we're still gonna push. We're still gonna fight, but... Nah, son, when they start talking to each other and changing, then we know that change is happening. 
Well, and that's the other thing. Like, what's your girl, Chimanda Ngozi Adichie? She was talking about... Oh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Yeah, exactly what she said. Come on. What she said. (laughs) So, my Igbo isn't up to par. No, my Igbo is not. It does not exist. Where's she from? She's Nigerian. Oh, okay. Yoruba? No, she's Igbo. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Chimamanda Ngozi. Oh, Chi. Come on, Chi. 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 This is Chi. It's your cousin Chi. What she was saying, like, to really, like, get rid of sexism, like, you need men to talk to other men, right? Mm, Yes. Because one of the problems of sexism is that men don't tend to listen to women, right? Right. (laughs) Right. And then just like the same thing, like white people don't listen to black people about racism. Like we were talking about in med school. Exactly. Or even yesterday, yo, I almost went like postal on this nurse. (laughs) So we're just having having a normal conversation with other people, not even talking to her, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about this statement about toddlers, like when they're handing out things at the end of a class and they're handing out stickers, they say this thing like, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? Guess what? So mind you, this other nurse is not even in the conversation. Guess what she says? Oh no, what? I wish someone would have told the rioters that. <gasps> she said that out loud. Yes. And thought it was funny. It's... I'm like, that's not funny in any way. It's a ridiculous statement. And she's like, okay, well, how about the looters? I'm like, no, that's even more ridiculous. There was a black man who was murdered in broad daylight with five different cameras, and no police officer did anything. The DA didn't do anything. They're extreme. It's ridiculous right. to act like the looters and the the rioters supposedly are the ones. And also, if you actually look at the most of the protests, most of the violence is still done by the police. At the police brutality protests, ninety percent of the violence is being done by police. And also, you like get what you get and don't have a fit. Right. Like that's oh, yeah. a response to the right. no. Yeah, you just no, just no, watch no. watch people die in the street and don't throw a fit right. about it. Like, right, because that's me? what you got. Right, that's and what then you, you try the nerve to act like me, like I was overreacting. Girl, please, like, well, I didn't make a joke out of it. Yes, woman, you did. And it was funny Indeed. because, like, all the other nurses, as soon as she said it, they saw my face and they just walked away. It was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Bennett and I ain't in it. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 uh. Let's tie a nice bow around this, even though we know that racism in healthcare um, requires more than a bow. Well, I mean, like we said, like one good thing about the whole Black Lives Matter movement is it's mm-hmm. more popular than any other civil unrest or civil rights movement we've had in the United States. Because I know we like mm-hmm. to talk about how much America loves Martin Luther King, but in his right. day, he was one of the most hated people in the country. Exactly. And the civil rights movement was really, really unpopular. And Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter was unpopular until, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And now ago. it is very, very popular mainstream. And more white people are finally realizing, like, yeah, if they can do that shit on TV and nothing happens, there's probably a lot of stuff going on, like, everywhere. Right. We should probably change things right. because we don't like seeing people murdered in the street. And the biggest thing is that most white people are open to the fact that racism exists, right? Well, that's so, some good news. No, 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 that's, that's, that's good news, that, that things will start to change. There is a shift. I mean, you said, this, you said this weeks ago, like, you know, there's something happening. Maybe collectively we're all just saying enough is enough and, and it's finally happening. I just think in, in, when it comes to healthcare, not even in terms of re- representation, but just like how we address the inequities. I know I said um, 
I've said before, and I'll say again in the future, like you can't address healthcare without addressing the social determinants of health. But if you don't, you can't address the social determinants of health without addressing racism in this country. Right. If you, and not even just in this country, but within the healthcare system itself. So what's happening externally, whether it's your zip code, income, job, or whatnot, is one thing, but what, what is happening inside the healthcare system is just as important. Are there enough, what is the diversity, equity, and inclusion package looking like? Is it just symbolism? Or is there actual real effort and meat in the policies and the people that are represented in that organization? It makes a difference. I know that when I saw um, a Black optometrist the other day at NYU, literally for the first time since I began wearing glasses like 30 years ago, I was actually hurt. Like I felt heard, and that was a black woman who was uh, my practitioner at that point. Even though all my other eye doctor, ophthalm- ophthalmologists, and optometrists were not black, she just happened to be black, and she's the first one who listened to me. There's something to be said about having people who look like you and are willing to listen provide your care, because that care is just going to be a whole lot better. Our outcomes are going to be a whole lot better. But until we start reframing this uh, inequity issue as a race issue, a racism issue, not a race issue, but a racism issue in healthcare, I don't think we're going we're gonna to push the needle very far. And I only say this because it was 20 years ago that the Institute of Medicine came out with that video, Unequal Treatment, or that whole series. It was like a documentary with like nine parts or something like that talking about the inequities in healthcare and outside of the healthcare system and what we need to do. And in the 20 years, what do we have to show for it? Nothing, because we did not talk about the number one thing that is impacting healthcare in this country, and that is racism. Right, like racism affects everything. White people need to stop being racist, number one. On every level, from doctors, to the people who hire people, to police officers, to nurses, uh, breeding staff, like all of it. It's like, it's like having your differential diagnosis. Patient comes in, okay, they've given, you've checked out everything. What's number one, two, three, four, and five on your differential? Stop being racist. Stop being racist. Stop being racist. Number four, stop being racist. Like, that's literally it. Like, just stop it, and then right. it won't happen. Look at that. We've now cured a whole lot of things. Hey, you know, it's not rocket science. Like, it's racism, is racism, or it's racism. So now that we've cured the healthcare system, or at least we've given our assessment and plan, what's next? Well, we got to go vote for Kanye, right? We don't. <laughs> so in summary, racism is a real thing. It exists in healthcare just like it does in every other aspect of um, American life. And if you're mm. not doing something to change it, you're perpetuating mm. it. And yes. really simple things can be done to help it. implicit bias training and then also since we're tying payments to every other algorithm tie it to the simple algorithm of do black and brown patients and female patients get equivalent treatment options as their white male counterparts that's revolutionary can you imagine common sense is it's not even that hard right (laughs) like it's really easy to measure like because they measure what we call diagnosis codes like for all these diagnosis codes like do you give the appropriate treatment? 
And the other thing is, it'll make sure that hospitals are actually following standards of care, right? For everybody. Yeah. Problem solved. White people need to stop being racist. Exactly. I'm out. Um, we're going to see you next time. Hold it down one time for the West Side. Know what I'm saying? One. Keep it tight. I made it even better. I mean, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I gotta hold it down for my people.